Hello. Now, it's not too late to join me at my free online workshops. They're happening this week. So I'm going to be sharing the biggest and the top five home design mistakes and how to avoid them. So if you're an early bird, you're listening to this episode at the time of its release or, you know, in the couple of days after, then head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash design mistakes and save your free spot. I would love to see you there. Now, let's get on with this episode. This is episode 247. Something I know from all the years I've been in this industry is this. No one sets out to renovate and build their home with this wish. I want to create an okay home. Not once have I had that as a brief. Not once have I had a client come to me uh, when creating their long-term family home and say, I only want an okay home. And yet all over the suburbs and the streets where people are building and renovating, unknown compromises are being made as people create homes that don't function well and don't feel great. Well, not as great as they could with the same money spent on making different decisions. All the time I see people ending up with okay homes because they don't know what they don't know. And so in this episode, I want to take you through three tips to avoid this in your project so you can be better prepared to visualize and imagine what a functional and feel good home can really be for you. Now, remember, if you want to grab a full free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode with links to other resources that we discuss, you can access that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 247. That's the numbers 247. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. As I said up front, in this episode, I'm going to help you avoid how to end up creating an okay home. And believe it or not, 
that actually starts by acknowledging your fears when it comes to creating your future home. So often in my work with homeowners and especially those who come to work with me inside my flagship program, Home Method, I hear about their fears and concerns about renovating and building. And whilst these fears will get expressed in different ways, they do really boil down to four main themes. And perhaps these four themes will be familiar to you if you're planning your own project, getting ready for it, or you're already in the midst of it. So let's go through them. The first fear is about cost and money. So renovating a building, of course, usually involves very large sums of money. It's often one of the biggest investments that you'll make in your lifetime. It's also where your wealth is measured in asset value and you'll be funding your project from a very long-term loan, long-earned savings, an inheritance that's come at the cost of losing someone you love or a combination of some or all of those things. And so the money matters. It's rare to see homeowners spend money that doesn't matter to them on their projects and come with loads of meaning and pressure for making the right decisions as a result. So there's fears and nerves about how your how much your project is going to cost you. Will you be able to keep things on budget? Will you blow your budget? Will this project financially cripple you? How much money will it chew up? And will the spend that you make create the result that you want and actually be worth the investment? How will you know the best place to spend the money that you're investing and make the right choices along the way? You know, these fears, they're all very, very common and very understandable. The second fear that I hear about is related to time. So we are, of course, leading very, very full lives. So this one is also understandable. Renovating and building is a long-term process. It's a, If it's a custom new home or renovation, it's going to be at least an 18-month adventure, if not two to three years in duration and sometimes longer. And that doesn't take into account the months or the years that you'll be spending getting ready, doing your own research, having conversations and thinking about what and when you'll do your project. This can take sometimes five years, 10 years, you know, from people's lives in terms of navigating this. So many of you do worry about how much a project will pull on your time, how you're going to juggle it with the other commitments that you already have between family, work, caring for others and other demands. And there's also a concern about how much time your project will actually take so it doesn't go on and on and on and on with an unending and, you know, draining kind of feeling to it. And often, even though you may have been thinking about it and prepping your project for years, I find that once people decide to hit go, there is a huge sense of urgency and people start choosing designers and builders and putting pen to paper for floor plans and they all want it done really, really quickly. So, Time can be a really confusing thing in projects because homeowners will often have incorrect expectations. Deadlines are often self-imposed and arbitrary. And if you're juggling the timelines of others who are also involved in helping you bring your home dreams to reality, then time is a really interesting concept when it comes to renovating and building. And it's a big factor and a big fear. Now, the third fear that many have is a fear of stuffing it up. The fear of making the wrong decisions, of spending that precious time and that precious money on choices that will cause you long-term regrets. You know, people tell me that they're worried about looking foolish in the process or falling for the wrong team members who take advantage of them and then getting bad or misleading advice from them as well. And when I speak with you and I get your messages and I hear you talk about your projects, there's actually a real understanding that the decisions that you make and how you design your future home and then how you go about building it, that you know these decisions are going to have a long-term impact on your lifestyle, your safety, your security, your health and your well-being. And so, you know, these are all core fundamentals in our lives. And so understandably, there's a there's a fear that any wrong decision you make in your project will have a negative impact on those very important things. Now, lastly, the fourth theme or the fourth common fear is you don't know what you don't know. And 
I hear this one so often. It's also the one that I see play out for so many homeowners and actually be the thing that causes havoc and wreaks, you know, causes a lot of drama in projects as well. You know, this fear is a really great way of summarising the challenge that many experience when renovating or building and the frustration that they have as well. I spoke about this in in the last episode that we have where I shared why the assumption that you just need to find a good designer can actually be a dangerous one when starting on your renovation or new build. And if you'd like to learn more about that, if you haven't listened to that episode and the questions that I suggest you need to ask yourself when you're starting your project and you're going to think about you know, the designer that you hire, then you can check out that episode by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 246. Now, this fear of not knowing what you don't know, it can actually manifest in a few different ways. So one is, of course, that when you don't know what you don't know, you'll follow the wrong advice or a less ideal pathway, simply because you're not aware of the alternatives or the options. And that, of course, can mean wasted time and money and making the wrong choices. Another way that I see this manifest is, you know, when homeowners don't know what they don't know, is that they actually, they lack firsthand experience in what it's like to live in a home that's functional and feels great and is designed well to suit its site. And I want to dive into this a little bit more in this episode. You know, this idea of living in an okay house because you don't know any differently and you've got so used to the unknown compromises of a non-functional home design, that's what you end up creating because you just don't know any differently. You don't know what's possible when you actually kind of dive into the what what the full potential of a home and living in a great home can be. So I'm going to I just want to start by illustrating this with a story about someone I know who's actually close to me who was recently working on their kitchen renovation. So the existing kitchen in their home it had a terrible design and they'd lived with it for they've lived with it for years. It's this small U-shaped kitchen in a constrained space. It's got this tiny island. I mean it's tiny. The island's actually a fixed object but it probably should have been a mobile sort of rolling thing. It's about a metre by, you know, 600 millimetres. And then the kitchen also has the corner pantry. You will know if you've listened for Undercover Arctic for any time how much I dislike corner pantries, um, that, that it works really badly as corner pantries always do. And so they wanted to replace the kitchen with a new one, but the space that they had available made the options really limiting. And so they spoke to me about what they could do. And they'd actually been to a kitchen designer and this kitchen designer had pretty much suggested replacing everything where it was but connecting the island. So the island wasn't this little freestand sort of, I don't even know how to describe it, this freestand sort of full stop. It was literally like just a little block. Instead, they suggested connecting that to the kitchen. So they were going to end up with this kind of U-shaped kitchen but because it's on walls on three sides, it was pretty much a perimeter kitchen with one entry point. And as far as they were concerned, doing that was actually going to give them more bench space than they currently had. And so they figured it was going to be an improvement on what they had. And of course, it was going to be a new kitchen, you know, new cupboards, new cupboard fronts, all of those kinds of things. So they they saw that as being a positive. Now, if you've listened to Undercover Architect as well, you'll know that I'm not a fan of perimeter kitchens. I talked about them in my Pet Hates About Home Design a couple of episodes ago. I think U-shaped kitchens and perimeter kitchens are really challenging for family homes and for family life. They create dead ends that trap people and they prevent flexible use by multiple people in the home at one time. They include corners where cupboards will need special fit outs to be useful or these cupboards end up being dumping grounds of irregularly used items. And I speak this from experience. We have a corner cupboard that's like that in our home and it sucks. They include deep corner benchtop spaces where items will get pushed into, you know, these corners. 
and then pulled out when they're used and the maintenance and the use of these spaces is not easy and they just get, you know, it's just not good. And they set up relationships between cupboard doors both above and below the bench where you know, panels will open into each other or you'll need these door cupboards which are made up of two hinged panels together or, you know, cupboards will bash against each other as they open at right angles to each other. And then these U-shaped kitchens, these perimeter kitchens, they usually set up layout layout dimensions just by virtue of how they need to be sized that are actually awkward to use ergonomically. And so I went through, you know, these negatives that I see in U-shaped kitchens and perimeter kitchens they weren't really sure what I was talking about. You know, as far as they were concerned, this layout was going to be so much better than what they currently had. It was going to give them more bench space, more cupboard storage space. And they'd been living with this kind of arrangement for years and years and years. And, you know, it didn't seem to matter to them or they didn't seem to be aware of how much it had inconvenienced their everyday life to be living with a kitchen like this. They didn't, so it didn't seem to matter to them to that the future kitchen they were about to invest in was going to be difficult to use or that it still was going to mean, as they'd been experiencing, that the kitchen could only be used by one person at one time. They thought that was just how their life was. And as far as they were concerned, it was going to be better than what they had. It was going to be better than what they were used to. And so the suggestions that I made about changing the configuration to something more functional, to them it just actually, you know, getting rid of the U, getting rid of that perimeter, for them, it just looked like they were going to end up with less bench space and less cupboard space and and not be not be the kitchen that they wanted. And so this is the big challenge always when it comes to working on your design, whether it's your whole house, whether it's a space within it. You know, when you're trying to think about creating something that's different to what you have, to what you've experienced previously, it can be really hard to visualise and imagine how something's going to be better functionally and feel better if it's different to what you have now, especially if it's going to be smaller. Another example of this unknown compromise and ending up with an okay home is when homeowners don't have a personal experience of living in a home that actually works for the orientation of their site. And I see this all the time, you know. I'll never forget very early on in in the days of Undercover Architect, somebody tagging me in social media, um, in a social media post. This person said something along the lines of, I've always wondered why people bang on and on about designing for the movement of sun and caring about it when you build and renovate and buy. And then they said, and this this photograph was of this beautiful sunlit room and it said, now I'm the one banging on and on because I'm now living in a north-facing apartment and it is amazing. And I see this really frequently, especially in warmer climates where there's an assumption that sunlight doesn't really matter, you know, because the focus is on avoiding the sun's heat without understanding or, ex- the ex- you know, having that experience of the sun's light being such an integral part of feeling great in a home and the benefit that it can provide when, you know, an understanding of how the sun moves is actually incorporated into the layout and the design of the home. It can be hard to visualise and imagine how something can be better functionally or feel better if it's different to what you have now, especially if you've not personally experienced what it's like to live that way yourself. Now, as I said, this is an area in particular that I see many living in an okay home. You know, those friends that I've had when they ask me if they should buy a particular block of land or a home that is south to rear. And I suggest that it's not going to be ideal if they want their living spaces at the rear. Because when you have, you know, in the southern hemisphere, a house that's south to the rear, you end up with a lot of your garden in shade and you end up with having to design a home that's going to try and access that northerly light. And their response is, oh, well, half the street's going to be like that. We just have to, that's just what we have to do, you know. And my answer to that, well, that may be the case, but it doesn't mean that you have to live like that. It really does come down to thinking about what you want from your future home and your future lifestyle and then learning what you need to know in order to be able to create that. And 
It can be hard to visualize and imagine how something can be better functionally and help you feel better if you've not had firsthand experience of something better and you can't picture what your future lifestyle will look like and need from a home and as a result, the standards that you're going to set for yourself. So how can you get more insight into this? You know, if you don't get to live in or experience many different homes in your life, you're only going to build or renovate once or maybe twice in your life. How can you actually rehearse what is needed from a home before you can create it permanently for yourself? How can you anticipate what your future home might need in its design, its finishes and its fixtures so that it can support you better in your future lifestyle? How can you learn what you need to know so that you don't end up with a home that is full of these unknown compromises. You know, one that you've invested so much time and money into, but it just doesn't realize the full potential of what was possible with your budget and your site in order to create a fantastic result. And how can you be better equipped to make great choices for yourself and your family and avoid ending up with an okay home? So let's go through three tips to actually help you prevent the unknown compromises that many make that actually leave them with an okay home. So the first tip that I have is this, be a design detective. Take your time to practice, to test and to rehearse where you can in your existing life as you think about your design and you move through your design process. You know, many struggle with the visualization and the imagination process of designing their future home. And if it's hard for you to look at floor plans and to picture those spaces, those spaces in your imagination, then you can feel a lot of doubt and uncertainty during the design phase of your project. And that can cause issues on site as you start to watch your home get built and you really see those spaces for the first time and then you potentially want to change them. You know, or if it's hard for you to get clear on what your future home might actually need for you and your family because you're designing something that's going to last for many, many years. And then, you, you know, you're trying to do this, but then you end up taking on ideas that don't suit you or you add in lots of ideas and extras just in case without knowing if they're truly going to serve you. And you're stretching your budget over all of them as a result. You know, both of these, they can lead you to ending up with unknown compromises and an okay home because you're botching things together on site, trying to fix a design that you didn't fully understand, or you're creating a home to suit lots of just-in-case scenarios instead of it being a functional, flexible home that truly suits you. So the best way to navigate this is to actually use the time before you begin designing really effectively. And I call this being a design detective, but it really means going about your life with an awareness of it. So watching how you, your family and others use spaces, rooms, objects and what works and what doesn't. This can be anywhere. It doesn't just have to be in houses, you know, have curiosity all the time about what you see and where you think it can be improved or changed. Being willing to let go of those set of preconceptions that are fed by Pinterest and Instagram, that real estate checklist of rooms that generate big, big homes. You know, think about the essence of life in a home. Think about what you'd be willing to let go of, you know, rather than add to your life and your home and just have fun with it. As I said, be curious. You'll start to learn so much more about how homes can and do work to support us living great lives and how we interact with space for life and for function. So you'll start to see what will really make your life convenient and what you're using every day versus what you're only using once a year or every season or not at all. I've told Home Method members in the past to actually take a tape measure with them in their bag so that they can test the size and dimensions of things that they see and experience as well. You know, one member in particular, she was struggling to figure out what size kitchen she really needed and she couldn't get a handle on the dimensions by looking at photographs or floor plans and so she started measuring things at friends' homes and in display homes that she visited and she had a good laugh about it and she embraced that she was feeling a little weird about being, you know, a design detective and doing design detective work. 
but it really served her in the creation of her own kitchen that perfectly suited what she and her family actually needed because she'd taken this time and done this research and this investigation and this preparation first. You know, the thing is too that as you're designing, don't let go of this curiosity and testing. I've actually had Home Method members stake out their design at one-to-one to get a feel for the real size of the spaces. They've cut out large pieces of furniture one-to-one to see how their furniture sits in these spaces. You know, one member actually worked with their designer to mock up a one-to-one of a particular wall, like a vertical wall uh, on their site um, during the design phase to actually ensure that the window, which was going to be a big investment, this window, they wanted to ensure that it was the right size, the right shape and in the right position for the view that they wanted to capture. You know, and it, it took, it, of course, it took some time for them to all work together to do that. And you be, may be saying, look, wow, that sounds like a lot of overkill. That sounds like a lot of work. But the thing is that changes on paper, <laughs> they are so much cheaper than changes on a construction site. And there's so, you know, changes on paper are so far less impactful and costly in your life then you're ending up with the wrong design or not fulfilling the true potential of your home because you weren't aware of the alternatives. You know, it's if you can use your design time to test what you'll be living with long term so that you don't just end up with an okay home and a life half lived. The second tip that I've got for you is this. I encourage you to determine what your non-negotiables are. So if you think about your life, just think about your life generally. I suspect that you'll have some non-negotiables that you've set for yourself. So for some I know it may be that they know that they, they always exercise a certain number of times per week. For others, it's that they don't eat gluten. You know, for some, it's that they don't drink alcohol. Whatever it is, these non-negotiables end up forming the foundation from which other decisions and choices get made. So in the process as well, they commonly simplify the decision-making process because future decisions are being made in alignment with something that's a priority or considered a core value and it just creates clarity. So, you know, a non-negotiable is also something it just doesn't get compromised on. The very fact that it's a non-negotiable means that there is no wiggle room. Now, you can do this in your home design as well. If you can first determine your non-negotiables, this is really, really powerful. So, you know, renovating a building, it's a process that can involve tens of thousands of decisions and it's actually in your best interests to find ways to streamline your decision making so you can simplify it overall. And determining your non-negotiables when it comes to your home design, that will create clarity for you when you need it and a place to check against when you're weighing up important choices. So if I can suggest one core non-negotiable, it's this, design for the movement of the sun and the climate in your area. Because if you can figure that out as your non-negotiable, you will immediately have a guide for how your floor plan needs to be laid out and what needs to happen with the building envelope or the walls, the floors, the roof of your home in order to create a thermally comfortable home for your specific site and your climate. The simple act of knowing what you want to, what you actually need to do to access northerly and northeasterly sunlight, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, into your primary living area, that's just going to have a natural domino effect on reducing the future decisions that you need to make for the rest of your design. And I've spoken recently about how if and when we see the lift of our energy efficiency standards to a seven-star rating, which is, of course, tabled to potentially happen in September 2022, we're going to find out any day now whether that's actually going to be happening in our National Construction Code in Australia. You know, if we do move to this seven-star energy rating, designing without the consideration of the site and its orientation, that's actually going to make it difficult for your design to achieve the required benchmarks. I remember when I, uh, you know, worked at Mervac when I was part of the senior design team there. It was 
always part of our design conversations about how the homes and the apartments that we're designing were working for the orientation of the site. You know, we would work with sales staff because they wanted to know what the best apartments were in any development in this regard because they needed to be prepared when they were asked that by potential purchasers. And we would do subdivision plans of, of course, the, you know, the greenfield and brownfield sites that we were looking at, you know, as architects and designers, we were creating those subdivision plans and we were looking for how we could subdivide sites into lots that actually promoted opportunities for the houses we were going to be putting on those sites to be oriented correctly. And where we had challenging sites that, you know, meant that we were going to end up with some, uh, you know, some north to street houses, for example, particularly on narrow lots, then we would create specific designs for those lots that accommodated that type of orientation. So, for example, you know, one of the projects I worked on, we ended up with one long street that was north uh, to street. And so all of the designs along that street that were north to street were a variety of different solutions for a north to street site. So we had upside down houses where all of the primary living spaces were upstairs and we had lovely wide large decks to the north uh, and, a, you know, they were also, of course, sitting up a story above the street um, for to manage privacy and um, they worked really well in that regard. In other ones, we had the living spaces downstairs, but we had them oriented to the front and we had them set back from the street with a large private uh, outdoor area in front of them that we had designed uh, as part of the home to actually privatise it from the view from the street and looked at the landscaping solutions as well. We other ha other solutions were that we did C-shaped uh, homes or courtyard homes which were single storey to the street that allowed northerly light over that single storey into the living spaces at the rear. Um, we also split the building form to allow light through and into courtyard spaces in the guts of the home. You know, all of these kinds of things were done because prioritizing that that designing for the orientation of the site was a non-negotiable so you know what if all builders and developers did this what if every project home builder on every floor plan they sell when you walk through those display villages and they hand you these great big catalogs of their you know designs that you can buy off the plan what if they all had an orientation recommendation on their floor plan so you could look at this know the orientation of your site and know if that house was going to suit your site's orientation or if they went even further what if they actually wouldn't even sell a design to you if it didn't suit the orientation of your site what if designing for site suitability and site's orientation was the non-negotiable in all home design building and renovating can you imagine if everyone thought of it this way if it was just part of our culture and our approach to housing, if ev that every home had to suit its site and climate, you know, if builders and salespeople and all draftspeople and designers were educated about and they believed in the importance of designing for orientation, I actually, I dream of this being the case one day. This has always been one of my big dreams in Undercover Architect. You know, and when I first came to realise how designing for orientation, how little it was understood, not only by the general public, but also by certain parts of the industry, this definitely became one of my big dreams was, you know, what if this could be the base level from which all housing in our country works, all housing globally, that every house always suits the climate and the orientation of its site. You know, in the meantime, though, <laughs> whilst we're waiting for that to happen, whilst I'm working really hard for that to happen, if I can encourage you to create it as your non-negotiable for your project. Can I do that? You know, I know it's going to simplify things for you dramatically and it's going to eliminate loads of decisions that will lighten your mental load from the outset in your project. So 
Think about that, okay? And think about what else you want to embed as your non-negotiables in your home design approach and process. Put those things into your design brief so that you can communicate them to your team from the outset and ensure that your team is aware of what they are so that you can all stay accountable to that because it's, you know, something that you want to stay on track to. Now, the third tip I had for you is this. Don't let your fears make you race your decisions. So remember I spoke up front about the four main fears that homeowners have when they're embarking on and they're navigating their renovation or new build projects. So as a reminder, those four fears are cost, time, stuffing it up and that you know that you don't know what you don't know. So it's natural that when you have fears, you want to move through them and to the other side as quickly as possible. But there's a big difference between how you act when you're trying to do this, when you're just trying to race through your fears and when you actually act, you know, how you act when, you, when you're trying to overcome your fears in order to achieve the outcome that you're seeking to achieve. So you really do need to support yourself and your mindset in your project journey, starting with how you're going to prepare for the design process, navigate through the design process, and then definitely through into pre-build and the build phases. So one of the things that I talk about inside Home Method is I actually talk about five factors that make or break a project. And so these factors are cost, time, team, design, and you. And each step that I have inside Home Method, um, each lesson, which explains each step of the process of building or renovating, I actually include specific tips on these five factors, cost, time, team, design, and you at each step so that you know what you need to know in relation to each of them as you're navigating the steps of your project so that you can create success as you move through each step of your project. So now it may be it may seem weird when it's a renovation or a new build to think about how you, you know, your behavior, your mindset, how you're going to show up, may how that can be helpful or harmful to your project journey. But I find that mindset is significant in most things we do and especially significant when it's something as personal and as financially impactful and as long-lasting as a new build or renovation project. And the unknown compromise the decisions that end up creating an okay home, when I see it really happen, it's because generally in a project, a hurdle is hit that needs more information or it needs you as a homeowner to have a difficult and challenging conversation or call somebody on their behaviour or dig deeper or it needs some time and some investigation and instead what happens is the homeowner takes a different less challenging pathway and the kitchen owners that I mentioned up front that's what they did you know they were quite dismissive of any alternative ideas instead they sought a design that pretty much just replicated what they have but adds a bit extra and in the process actually makes the kitchen less functional than it already is so you know because to embrace the idea that it could be different to what they already had and what was being currently presented as a solution well that meant that they were going to have to do more work they were going to have to learn more, they were going to have to investigate more and they were going to have to lean into what they didn't know. And instead, they just wanted to get it sorted. They just wanted to get it done. And they also felt that they just weren't good at making decisions about these things themselves. You know, we had a bunch of conversations about this. They said, you know, this just isn't something we're good at. And, you know, they said to me, it's okay for you, you get this stuff. And which of course I do, but I've also had a front row seat to thousands of homeowners who don't do this every day but they still do what they need to, to get themselves into a better frame of mind and a better position of knowledge to be the drivers in their projects. But not in this case though, you know, they handed things over to a company who was going to take care of everything from start to finish and do it at the price point that they wanted to spend and tell them when they were going to need decisions from them. And 
you know, the volume builder market is like this too. You know, I remember a director of one of the volume builder businesses actually telling me that their ideal client is one who picks the home that they want, you know, out of the catalogue, they sign the contract, they show up to their selection appointments to make chases, choices from what's available. And then the next time they hear from this this homeowner or this client is when, you know, they're contacting them as a business to hand them the keys to their finished home. And, you know, that's what the low profit margins that they have and the high volume delivery that they do, that's what it's based on. That's their ideal scenario. And the fact that there can be so much fear about renovating and building, it actually makes the one-stop shop, that sort of set and forget approach to creating a home. The idea that I mentioned in that last podcast episode that you just need to choose a good designer, you know, that's what makes all of these ideas be so strongly supported and so strongly believed. However, (laughs) problems still occur when you try to stay hands-off, you know, or you try to hand it over to a one-stop shop. Staying hands-off, you know, thinking that one person or company can take care of it all, trying to move as quickly as you can through the phases that feel confusing and overwhelming, handing over your agency to someone else because it feels too difficult to learn about the process. You know, problems still occur in all of these scenarios. And when it's your investment and it's your money, it's your home and it's your future, please don't let fears dictate to you what your project journey is going to look like. You know, support your mindset. Get the help and the support that you need. Learn more about the process and the steps involved. Get to know yourself better and get to know how you really want to live in your future home. Take the time to get prepared before you begin designing. The learnings, the knowledge, the understanding, it's all going to create greater clarity for you. It's going to provide you with a framework in which to act and it's going to streamline the whole process for you overall. And who knows, you might even enjoy it. You know, if you're like most of the homeowners that I work with, you'll actually miss it once it's gone, once it's over. Now, lastly, I want to quote a client of mine who I worked with many, many years ago who really got it right when talking about this. They said, you know, when it comes to a home, it costs the same to build the wall in the wrong place as it does to build the wall in the right place. The wrong place causes years of frustration and regret at its worst and daily niggling and inconvenience at its best. The right place, it sets up your home to be functional and enjoyable to live in, a place where you feel great and it supports you in your everyday life in and beyond the home. So do you know what you need to so that you know the right place to put all the walls in your future home, to make the right decisions for your future lifestyle, to create a home that truly uniquely suits you, your site, your budget, your life. You know, I can help you inside Home Method, my flagship program. Investing in it is a drop in the ocean compared to the investment that most are making in their projects. We have members with budgets ranging from $100,000 to over $3 million and everything in between. They're creating all types of homes in all sorts of locations along all sorts of different avenues, working with different team structures and companies. You know, we have homeowners that are doing full custom homes through a traditional process using using an architect's full services and working with a custom builder, right through to homeowners doing their own design, purchasing kit homes, doing owner builder, working with a volume builder and everything in between. The unifying factor for all of these members, they all want to feel informed, confident and get it right in their projects because they know it matters and it makes a difference to their experience and to the outcome that they create in their future home. And so they've made an investment that represents a really small percentage of their overall project spend to get the support, the knowledge, the guidance and help they need inside Home Method and to save time, money and stress in their project whilst they create the perfect home for their budget, their site and their life. And whether you choose to work with me or not, please use these three tips that I've shared so that you can avoid living and ending up with an okay home and instead create one that realises the full potential of your budget, your site, 
and the lifestyle that it'll support you living. Be a design detective, determine your non-negotiables and don't let fear make you race your decisions. Now, next time on the podcast, I've actually got a new interview to share with you. So for those of you who are building new, who are doing uh, brand new homes, this may be an affordable way to access an architectural design for your project and give you a big head start as well. So stay tuned for that. It's also not too late to join me on my free online workshops this week where I'll be sharing the biggest and top five home design mistakes and how to avoid them. If you're listening to this episode at its time of release, then head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash design mistakes. You can save your free spot. I would love to see you there. Remember, you can grab a full and free PDF download of the transcript for this episode, as well as some other helpful resources that I've included there. You can grab that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 247. That's the numbers 247. All of those links will be in the show notes for this podcast, wherever you are listening to it. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time. Bye. Bye.